Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Lore Explorer podcast, a podcast where we talk about the lore and history of various media, ranging from video games and movies to real-life figures and events. Today, we'll be focusing on the operators of Rainbow Six Siege. I'll be going into detail about their background rather than their abilities and weapons. This is more to gain an understanding of them that will enrich the experience of the game. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to stick around to the end to hear about how you can support the show on my Patreon page. Now, let's delve into the world of Rainbow Six Siege. Team Rainbow is an elite international counter-terrorist unit that falls under the direct supervision of NATO. The unit was formed to combat terrorist actions worldwide in a more effective way by assembling a team of elite counter-terrorist operatives from nations all over the world. Since its formation in 1999, Rainbow has prevented several terrorist plots since its activation, but it was deactivated in 2012. The unit was reactivated three years later under a new director, codenamed Six, to combat the White Masks and their widespread terrorist attacks. In 1996, John Clark wrote a memo to the CIA expressing concerns over the rise of international terrorism since the end of the Cold War, and recommended the creation of a NATO response team to rapidly deploy to terrorist situations. The memo read, There is good news and there is bad news. With the demise of the Soviet Union and other nation-states with political positions adverse to American and Western interests, the likelihood of a major international confrontation is at an all-time low. This, clearly, is the best of good news. But along with that, we must face the fact that there remains many experienced and trained international terrorists still roaming the world, some with lingering contacts with national intelligence agencies, plus the fact that some nations, while not desirous of a direct confrontation with American or other Western nations, could still make use of the remaining terrorist quote-unquote free agents for more narrow political goals. If anything, this problem is very likely to grow, since under the previous world situation, the major nation-states place firm limits on terrorist activity, these limits enforced by controlled access to weapons, funding, training, and safe havens. It seems likely that the current world situation will invert the previous understanding enjoyed by the major countries. The price of support, weapons, training, and safe havens might well become actual terrorist activity, not the ideological purity previously demanded by sponsoring nation-states. The most obvious solution to this increasing problem will be a new multinational counter-terrorist team, I propose the code name Rainbow. I further propose that the organization be based in the United Kingdom. The reasons for this are simple. The UK currently owns and operates the Special Air Service, the world's foremost, that is, most experienced, special operations agency. London is the world's most accessible city in terms of commercial air travel, in addition to which the SAS has a very cordial relationship with British Airways. The legal environment is particularly advantageous, 
due to press restrictions possible under British law, but not American. And lastly, the long-standing special relationship between American and British governmental agencies. For all of those reasons, the proposed special operations team composed of U.S., U.K., and selected NATO personnel with full support from National Intelligence Services, coordinated at site. With the backing from the CIA Director Ed Foley, Mary Pat Foley, General Mickey Moore, and selected others, Clark was able to get President Jack Ryan to approve the organization. Rainbow was officially formed in 1999 and was established at Hereford Base, United Kingdom. John Clark was given command of the unit as well as the simulated rank of Major General and the codename Six. Rainbow's first major operation was combating several terrorist attacks orchestrated by Horizon Corporation CEO John Breitling of the Phoenix Group. Breitling had planned to unleash the Ebola Brahma virus at the 2000 Summer Olympics in Sydney, Australia, in order to decimate humanity and put an end to pollution. Rainbow was able to successfully stop the dispersal of the virus and arrested Breitling and his co-conspirators. For the next 12 years, Team Rainbow would prevent several catastrophic terrorist attempts. With the threat of terrorist incidents at an all-time low, Rainbow was disbanded in 2012. Unfortunately, this resulted in a surge of terrorist attacks along with the emergence of the white masks. With Rainbow now needed more than ever, Aurelia Arnott reactivated Rainbow in 2015. In early 2018, Arnott created the CBRN Threat Unit within Rainbow to counteract the growing threat of biological and chemical threats. A few months later, she created the Urban Tactical Response Team as Rainbow's testbed for operations in dense urban centers. The new unit drew on such expertise as riot officers for mob behavior and intelligence operators for converting local assets and building allied networks. In early 2019, Arnott accepted the position of U.S. Secretary of State. With her recommendation, Harry Panday became her direct successor. Harry sought to improve the synergies of each operator and began to perform psych evaluations on every operator to gain a better understanding of them. Additionally, he made Maria Alvarez the acting director of Rainbow's R&D division in order for her to make improvements on all operator equipment. Harry conceived the program as a result of the continued global threat of terrorists and sought to decentralize Rainbow and build team relationships. Harry later found an abandoned stadium in Ellis, Greece and had it renovated to serve this purpose. To ensure the safety of each operator, Harry and Mira developed the Sim Suit so that the simulated rounds could provide realistic feedback again to real ammunition. In January of 2020, Harry launched the first annual Tournament of Champions at the stadium under the guise of a public training exercise for CTUs across the globe. Since its formation, the unit is always run by a director and deputy director. Operatives are recruited from the world's leading counterterrorism and special forces units, including Delta Force, SAS, GSG-9, Spetsnaz, etc. Rainbow is quote-unquote blacker than black. It's American funding directed through the Department of the Interior by Congress, then through the Pentagon's Office of Special Projects, with no connection whatsoever to the intelligence community. 
less than a hundred people in Washington, D.C. even know that Rainbow exists. While talking about each branch of Team Rainbow and their members, there will be psychological profiles detailed by the director of Rainbow, Dr. Harishva Harry Pandey. The Special Air Service, commonly abbreviated to SAS, is a Special Forces Regiment of the British Army, first active from 1941 to 1945, then from 1947 onward. They conduct diverse unconventional warfare. Before entering, soldiers go through a difficult training course called selection. If a soldier passes, they are transferred into either the air, boat, or mobility unit. As well as this, all three regiments that form the SAS have a main and reserve counterterrorism unit. Seamus Cowden, codenamed Sledge, was born in the far north of Scotland. His military father and nurse mother moved to Inverness with him and his three siblings when he was five years old. His athleticism elevated him to the position of captain of the 1998 Scotland National Under-20 Rugby Union team. Following a long family tradition of military service, Cowden joined the 3rd UK Mechanized Division of the British Army at 18. His drive and physique suit the division's historical name of Ironsides. Cowden's first assignment was in the Armour Division where he studied engineering and specialized in upgrading the infantry combat vehicles. From there, he developed various breaching tactics. After five years of active duty, he was recruited into the SAS, where he holds multiple records in speed and strength. An expert in mechanical, ballistic, explosive, and thermal breaching strategies, Cowden is the operator to choose for quick and relatively silent destruction. Psychological Profile It's part of my job to understand where the country shapes the person, and Specialist Seamus Sledge Cowden seems inedibly shaped by the rugged terrain where he was born. It isn't just his imposing presence and athleticism. I can't help but feel that his personality evokes the wilderness as well. He's stoic and proud, though he admits that he can be hot-headed at times. Field reports describe his courage, leadership, and extensive operational experience as much as they mention his unpredictability. He's much more than a gentle giant, as some suggest. Cowden is something of a raconteur, and for much of our discussion, he told me one rowdy tale after another. When he was 12, he cobbled a hang glider together out of boat sails and launched himself off his house. He broke both ankles. During military training, he accidentally collapsed his entire sleeping barrack while testing a new breaching technique. In another time, he sank a captain's motorcycle by riding it off the pier, because he wanted to see how far it would travel on the surface. Not far, I gather. His stories aren't just to entertain. They help establish a comfortable connection. It's such a casual, off-hand leadership style. Cowden views his fellow operators as family. Specialist Mike Thatcher Baker, in particular, who he credits for convincing him to switch to the cobber. Numerous Rainbow operatives refer to Sledge as one of the easiest operators to work with. Overall, Cowden is easygoing and unpretentious, though he gets ruffled at the mention of politics. A self-proclaimed news junkie, he doesn't shy away from debates. In fact, it's the reason he joined the military and why one of his brothers is currently an elected MP. Cowden understands that while on assignment, 
Rainbow operators don't voice their political opinions, and so far there hasn't been any issues. We should trust that he can control his hot-headedness, at least before he's down at the pub. Mike Baker, codenamed Thatcher, comes from a long line of dock workers and soldiers. Despite family pressure to join the family trade as a stevedore, he enlisted for active duty at age 18, though his younger brother Polly Baker would eventually become one. Immediately thrown into politically charged conflicts, Baker's performance was exemplary. Further training and another conflict gave him a distinguished flying cross and conspicuous gallantry cross. His keen sense of observation and decisive manner, combined with his close-quarter combat techniques, made him invaluable on VIP protection detail. A veteran of three wars, Baker was the oldest SAS operative on active duty until he was recruited by Rainbow. With extensive field experience and proficiency in SAS tactics, Baker is a critical asset to any Rainbow operation. He has honed his expertise with protective measures and electronic countermeasures and frequently works with engineers to advance the equipment. As a Warrant Officer Class 1, Baker serves as a respected and effective mentor to new recruits. Baker maintains his agility training and has broken numerous mountain climbing records. Psychological Profile Knowing that Specialist Mike Thatcher Baker is cynical towards bureaucracy, I wasn't surprised that he was reluctant to meet me. I needed a different approach. Baker lives aboard the Iron Maggie, a boat and dry dock that he repairs in his spare time. It's his retirement plan. I suspect he moved there temporarily when his wife divorced him. He knows no other civilian home. Baker has a distinguished record of military service. He's respected and in some cases idolized by those he mentors. When he welcomed me to his home, I could see why people describe him as down-to-earth. There's more to Baker's gruff, no-nonsense exterior. It's just required some effort for him to trust me. Raised in a coastal town, Baker has a strong connection with the water. We spent our entire meeting on the deck of his ship, overlooking the cold sea. Being someone who isn't handy, mastering a paper airplane as a kid was the peak of my craft. I wanted to know what Baker likes about boat building and working with his hands. He told me that besides appreciating the precision of it, he liked shaping the wood into something that has purpose. I suggested it was similar to how he mentors recruits. Specialist Seamus Sledge Cowden is one of his close friends. Baker's tolerance of specialist Mark Mute Chandar surprised me. When asked, Baker would only say, Mute's a clever kid. He sounded almost envious. I wonder if Mute reflects someone Baker wishes he had been. While by no means a Luddite, Baker does have an aversion to technology. To him, it's a tool, like a hammer or a screwdriver, nothing more. The idea that people come to rely on it as a crutch is what annoys him. I suggested that he spend time in the engineering lab with specialists Echo and Twitch. They have a lot to teach one another. Mark R. Chandar, codenamed Mute, was born on October 11, 1991 in York, England. An exceptional and well-rounded student, he graduated from secondary school at the age of 12. During his gap year, he completed an internship at a prestigious British tech company, where he contributed to the design and function of security system prototypes. 
At age 14, he was accepted into the Department of Engineering at the University of Cambridge, where he majored in electronics and computer engineering. He later earned a Bachelor of Science in Engineering and a PhD in Electrical Engineering. His ingenuity caught the attention of Britain's National Security Office, the Government Communications Headquarters, the GCHQ. Having demonstrated acuity and code-breaking, Chandar became an intelligence officer within the Signals Intelligence Unit. This experience proved to be valuable with his eventual recruitment into the SAS and later Rainbow. He continues to contribute to the Applied Technical Research Team and has recently expanded his field of study to include learning Korean. Psychological Profile Chandar is highly intelligent and analytical. He is used to being the youngest and smartest one in the room. A man of few words, he prefers brevity and clarity to extemporizing. His curt nature is easily misconstrued as rudeness. It may not be immediately clear why specialist Mark Chandar's codename is Mute. While he dislikes small talk, he is particularly reserved and in fact can be brash, a trait that is off-putting to some. Whatever social agitation he experiences, there are some indications that he's unable to shake it off. I suspect it's because he's impatient. He needs to appreciate that there are different approaches to solving a problem. Interestingly, specialist Mike Thatcher Baker seems begrudgingly tolerant of him and has been known to speak up in Chandar's defense. Chandar tends to gravitate to certain personalities. In particular, I've noticed that he's been interacting with specialist Glass lately because Chandar revels in deconstructing equipment to create something new. I think he's drawn to abstract thinkers, and Glass has a similar talent for seeing complex situations in a unique way. Given his background in information security, Chandar understands secrecy and seems uncomfortable with expressing himself or with personal questions. In his field and here at Rainbow, information is a critical life-and-death commodity. So, of course, I respect this, but only up to a limit. I had to find another way in, and we managed to find common ground in discussing history, of all things. For someone so focused on science, he has surprised me. His hometown of York is one of the most historic cities in England, and it's a city I adore. He described in wonderful detail how he had to pass the Gothic church on his way to school. He liked to lean back and look up at the bell tower for so long that it made him wobbly. My meeting with Chandar reminded me that here at Rainbow, we tend to focus on how our operators excel in the STEM fields, but there is great value in our operators having passion and interests across a broad spectrum of studies. Chandar demonstrates why he's much more than someone who is used to being the smartest person in the room. Despite his young age, I'm certain he has something to teach the others. James Porter, codenamed Smoke, was born on May 14, 1981, at King's Cross in London, England. Porter was not an exceptional student growing up, though aptitude tests revealed his propensity for science. Encouraged by faculty and his parents, he was able to follow an unorthodox manner of education through tutors, homeschooling, and field science. Flourishing from his break from formal studies, he quickly developed his skills in chemistry, biology, and math. During his gap year, 
Porter was uninterested in pursuing a formal university education. He enlisted in the British Army and forged a fake ID in order to circumvent parental consent. After basic training, he was stationed in Belfast, finding the posting to be a bit dull. In the wake of the March 2007 treaty, he joined the Army boxing team as a middleweight. Though the rigidity of Army rules wasn't always a good fit, it was offset by the diverse range of training and experience Army life gave him. While he has been reprimanded for breaking rules, his superiors quickly recognized both his innovation and strategic perspective. He was then encouraged to join the SAS. Psychological Profile Porter is a thrill-seeker with very little regard for his personal safety. He is fearless in battle and can be a great asset for defensive maneuvers. However, he seems to enjoy the havoc and chaos of war. He tends to have an odd sense of humor in stressful situations, can be narcissistic. Porter prefers to acquire knowledge and skills, such as language and music, in his own way and does not excel in a formal training capacity. It's important for me to not have any preconceived expectations before a face-to-face -face with any specialist. Since assessments of specialist James Smoke Porter contain some contradictions, I couldn't have settled into any viewpoint anyway. So, essentially he entered my office as somewhat of a mystery. Porter is consistently described as detached. I reviewed his files and found that his aloofness occurs during high-intensity situations. It's likely not detachment, but focus. I'm reminded of my uncle, who used to tap his forehead and tell me to master my mind. Porter, I think, is mastering his mind to stay on task and filter out dangerous distractions. He strives to keep emotions away from decision-making, opting for outlets such as live music events to deplete his tension, thus enabling him to be the person he needs to be on the job. It's clear that Porter's parents encouraged him to be a free spirit and develop his education and personality on his own terms. While it resulted in some unfortunate mishaps, one science experiment left some physical scars but no emotional ones that I can see, there was great benefit in it. Porter's free-range education helped create a complex, dynamic person who isn't easily categorized. Porter is popular among his teammates and considered valuable despite some recklessness. Descriptions such as thrill-seeker and fearless seem simplistic to me, however. There's more nuance to Porter than that. He's measured and understands calculated risks. Porter, and our other operators, understand that it's more important to respect fear than to try to pretend we never feel it. Self-taught from an early age, Porter continues to spend time cultivating his own identity. He enjoys acquiring experiences and once he's mastered them, moves on. The exception is his adopted daughter. He would only share one photo of her. I've never seen an infant surrounded by so much dangerous paraphernalia, but Porter assures me she is now in high school, excelling with the system he himself was unable to comprehend. Through her, he sees the world in new ways, exactly the kind of challenge he adores. FBI SWAT FBI Special Weapons and Tactics Team, codenamed SWAT, are specialized tactical teams of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. 
SWAT agents are specially trained to intervene in high-risk events like a hostage and barricade situations. The FBI maintains SWAT teams at each of its 56 field offices throughout the country, varying in size up to about 42 members. In the event of a large-scale problem that local law enforcement does not have the resources to handle, FBI SWAT teams from the local field office, as well as outside the local region, can be dispatched to aid the local authorities. Eliza Cohen is codenamed Ash. Her mother is a renowned Jewish political activist and professor, while her Palestinian father is a professor of Middle Eastern studies. Cohen was raised in Israel, excelling in mathematics and physics. She earned a degree in structural engineering at Tel Aviv University and spent a few semesters at Boston University. Cohen then enlisted in the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF. After undergoing the rigorous 22-month training for the elite Air Force unit, Shaldog, she served five years. Skilled in ground and airborne operations, all-weather and all-terrain navigation and reconnaissance, she was invaluable in Operation Orchard. She was later transferred to FBI SWAT due to an international law enforcement exchange program. Cohen applied her degree in engineering in GIFT and structural resistance to develop advanced demolition tactics and equipment. Along with Hebrew, Cohen is fluent in Arabic, English, French, and Greek. Psychological Profile I had several meetings with specialist Eliza Ash Cohen before I gave up on convincing her to not see me as a commanding officer. She asked so many probing questions it was starting to feel as though she were analyzing me. Cohen isn't interested in discussing her childhood. There's resentment towards a judgmental grandmother, but no lasting trauma. Military service acted as an escape from family tensions and appealed to her ordered and focused personality. Cohen added that she appreciates high-risk, high-reward scenarios, but didn't elaborate on what level of personal risk is acceptable. Her identity is intertwined with her military training and operations. Extracting anything personal from that tangle is difficult. Cohen is cautious and doesn't cultivate many close relationships. Her bond with specialist Miles Castle Campbell is therefore important to her, and I would say to the team as well. It's certainly a good pairing. Campbell's amenable personality enables Cohen to step out of her comfort zone without feeling self-conscious or judged. Cohen uses other people's assessments to describe herself. She told me that specialists Bandit and Smoke tell her she's too serious, while others describe her as intense and that she enjoys being proven right. So I asked her if she thought those descriptions were accurate. She told me that she only cares about whether the other operators respect her. I'm confident that they do. On operations, Cohen is exemplary. She thinks fast, and her aggressive style almost always puts her at an advantage. During debriefs, however, I've noticed a different kind of focus. The residual stress of combat causes her to dwell on every misstep, perceived or real. Self-evaluation is understandable from someone so highly skilled, but it also has an effect on her team. It's important to encourage her to process the events as a joint effort and not simply assume the critique alone. Cohen, like all operators, knows there will be situations she can't prepare for, 
and yet she alone allows the stress of the unknown to eat at her. This will need to be addressed. Jordan Trace, codenamed Thermite, joined the Corps straight out of high school, making him a fourth-generation Marine. Following his first tour of Iraq, he obtained enough experience to volunteer as an explosive ordnance disposal technician. After his second tour of Iraq, Trace returned to the U.S., enrolled at Texas A&M, and earned a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry. He brought his experiences and skills to the FBI, where he spent four years as a field agent with the Hazardous Materials Response Unit. Seeking more dynamic environments, Trace transferred into FBI SWAT, where he excelled at developing new barricade protocols. He then earned a spot in Rainbow, where he's shown further interest in research and development on gadget upgrades. Trace's hometown of Plano has a major concentration of Chinese Americans, and as such, Trace has a conversational level of Mandarin. Psychological Profile For someone so disciplined and orderly, specialist Jordan Thermite Trace likes to surprise. He can be a practical joker, and he's always ready with a smart aleck comment. Beneath the surface, however, the recent loss of his sister to cancer and the death of his mother a few years prior have made it difficult for him to channel his thoughts and energy with the focus to which he is accustomed. I am concerned that he uses humor to avoid his grief. It's important he understands that some coping mechanisms can delay the healing process. There are resources that can help him, and I will continue to offer them when and where I may. Trace demonstrates strong tactical leadership, but can also plow ahead without consensus. I don't believe there's any lasting friction with other team members. He's well-liked by the others and has a solid working relationship with specialists Habana, Thatcher, and Twitch. He can be quite the social butterfly in his downtime. A few things to work on. Trace has excellent communication when he chooses to use it. He has good strategies but sometimes tends to lock in. I know that he's capable of being a more agile thinker, so I've given him some tips on how to recognize when he's becoming too bullheaded. There's a lot going on behind his smile. I'd like him to find a way to regulate himself, to find balance for his work and private life. Trace doesn't show obvious stressors, opting instead to channel any anxious energy into something positive, such as the R&D lab. It has been difficult to convince him that he needs a break from his role and identify as an operator. Shifting his attention to other intense tasks isn't a solution. I've given him some mental relaxation exercises that don't demand considerable time, but can be tackled throughout the day. Hibana, in particular, can be a good influence on him since she regularly practices mindfulness techniques to focus and relax. I hope he will take her advice to heart. Miles Campbell, codenamed Castle, was born on September 20th, 1980, in Sherman Oaks, California. Campbell graduated from California State University with a bachelor's degree in science and criminal justice and promptly joined the LAPD. After five years on the job, he was reassigned to the LAPD SWAT team. Campbell excelled in tactical support and high-risk incidents. His careful application of dynamic and deliberate entries made him a captain early on while his exceptional perimeter control earned him his first commendation. 
always interested in the safety of his team. Campbell worked tirelessly to perfect defense and reinforcement techniques and equipment. He earned multiple commendations since his first and became a certified firearms specialist. Campbell worked in the LAPD SWAT team for three years before he was transferred to the FBI as a field agent where he trained with the German Federal Police, the GSG-9. After two years, he was eventually recruited into the FBI SWAT team. Campbell has participated in cross-departmental training sessions with international law enforcement agencies, including the SAS and the GIGN. Psychological Profile Campbell has a knack for putting people at ease. He always appears comfortable regardless of the context. Campbell constantly strives to make sure that those around him are taken care of and feel safe, and is highly protective of people close to him. Within minutes of my first meeting with Specialist Campbell, it was like being with an old friend. He has an easygoing manner. We joked over American football and our football. Side note. Look up the origins of the word soccer. I have 20 quid bet on it. Reports repeatedly mention that Campbell is referred to as Papa Bear, or the diplomat, among rainbow operators. He described how he smoothed over a heated discussion between two operators the other night. It's clear that he's the team's social glue. This, and his openness, means that Campbell can be grouped with any other member of Rainbow. I'm not surprised that he's the one with whom Specialist Ash feels the most comfortable. His sense of fair play is clear in both his personal and professional life. I wondered if it was ever a struggle for him, given what he's seen. Without hesitation, he told me, his job is to protect those who can't protect themselves. Beyond the sense of justice that motivates him, he has a desire to transform things for the better. Our discussion explored his appreciation of his teammates, world cultures, and his love for the abused dogs he's rescued. Campbell's a curious person, someone who enjoys learning for learning's sake. Habitually staying up late to watch any sort of documentary certainly makes him a kindred spirit for me. He draws his positive energy from his parents, who have been married for 42 years and are still madly in love. Along with inheriting their work ethic, it's their playfulness he tries to emulate. Campbell is a hopeful person. He believes in the potential of people, all people, and wants to become an agent of change. He's so concerned for others that he may overlook his own needs. I suspect this is what sparked his recent blow-up after a training exercise. His frustration with himself is evident. One of his strategies hadn't played out the way he had hoped. Clearly, we need to make sure he gets as much encouragement as he offers to the others. Jack Estrada, codenamed Pulse, was born on October 11, 1984, at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, North Carolina. His father, Mark Peterson, was a pilot while his mother, Cynthia Estrada, was a classified senior intelligence officer. Jack was raised on bases across the U.S. and internationally in Germany, Turkey, and Japan. Estrada demonstrated a cumin for science at an early age and was quickly moved into an advanced curriculum. His focus on forensic science and biochemistry made him a perfect fit for the biometrics program with the FBI, which he joined as their youngest intern in 2007. In 2010, he secured his role as an agent and was soon recruited into the FBI SWAT, working both in the field and in the FBI lab. 
Estrada's high emotional intelligence led him to join the FBI's hostage rescue team, the HRT, where he excelled in crisis management and negotiation tactics. His knowledge of behavioral biometrics led to the creation of the cardiac sensor, along with several other prototypes which he continues to refine. Psychological Profile As a result of the constant relocation from base to base, Jack was fascinated by the microscopic variances that comprise identity. He became adept at recognizing microexpressions and delineating a person's history based on their speech patterns and physicality. During operations, Specialist Jack Pulse Estrada keeps his cool and consistently maintains sound judgment. So to meet someone with such boyish enthusiasm was an entertaining surprise for me. The conversation was a lively circuit of topics from biology, fighter jets, and scuba diving to something his father builds in his spare time, muscle cars. I honestly had never heard this term before. It completely baffled me. Estrada had to show me pictures. We discussed his childhood fascination with biology and chemistry, that he wanted to be an astronaut, and jokes that he still might be. He's fascinated with the concept of alien life forms, which, upon mentioning it, prompted him to describe his deep-sea diving expeditions with bouncing excitement. What makes Estrada quiet and contemplative is the mention of his mother. He becomes serious, and there's a wistful tone in his voice. It was his mother who first noticed how good he was at deconstructing microexpressions. She encouraged free thinking and let him decide the pace of his academic studies. A naturally private person, her work in military intelligence made her even more so. But because Estrada can so easily read others, I think it bothers him that he's unable to read his mother at all. Life is a sense of adventure and Estrada is ready to grasp it all. It's a healthy attitude and I wonder how his upbeat energy affects the group. Estrada told me that he's working on being more in the moment, quote-unquote, slowing time. He's striving to be more mindful. I asked if anyone in particular had encouraged this new point of view, but he avoided the question. Even under the most extreme conditions, Estrada puts his team first. Naturally, they all speak highly of him. Estrada says it's the caliber of his teammates that makes him so dedicated. He and Specialist Thermite are close, but there is some professional rivalry between Estrada and Specialist IQ. They seem to enjoy goading one another. I'm not concerned. If anything, it benefits Estrada to be challenged once in a while. The National Gendarmerie Intervention Group, commonly abbreviated GIGN, is a special operations unit of the French Armed Forces. It is part of the National Gendarmerie and is trained to perform counterterrorism and hostage rescue missions in France or anywhere else in the world. Emmanuel Pichon, codenamed Twitch, grew up in a family of academics in the historic city of Nancy, France, where the children were encouraged to excel in math, science, and technology. Early participation in sponsored computer programming competitions led her to joining the Army Cadets at 16. Almost immediately, her talent was recognized, particularly in robotics. Her superiors quickly encouraged Pachon to study engineering while continuing her career in the military with the GIGN. From the start, 
Pachon's focus has been on adaptable technology that aids soldiers in the field. While there is much praise for her technological achievements, Pachon's tactical prowess and ability to problem-solve quickly and efficiently make her a crucial operational asset. In 2015, Pachon was led by Olivier Lyon Flament on a mission to Nigeria to assist medical personnel fighting the Ebola epidemic. Tragedy ensued and the decisions Flament made for safety reasons put him at odds with Pachon and Doc, who blamed him for the death of several medical personnel on site, including Kateb's colleague. Later that year, Pachon's unique combination of talents made her well-suited to join Rainbow. In 2016, Pachon met Kavera and had some kind of relationship with her, but to what extent remains currently unknown. While not deployed on missions, Pachon proved invaluable for Rainbow's R&D department. She assisted in the improvement of the team's equipment and was noted to have helped Mira in the development of Clash's CCE shield in 2017. In early 2018, Pachon assisted Rainbow's new CBRN threat unit with a situation concerning a mysterious mist on the shores of Sussex. During the operation, Pachon provided Olivier Flament with a new aerial drone that allowed him to determine the source of the mist plume. In 2019, Cavera went AWOL in Bolivia in order to search for her brother. Pachon and Valkyrie subsequently collaborated with Ghost Recon to conduct Operation Archangel in order to recover Cavera, which provided to be a success. Psychological Report Technologically creative isn't a term I've heard before working with Rainbow. According to Specialist Twitch's field reports, it's the most concise description of her. Of course, it doesn't encapsulate all of who she is. There's more depth and surprises to Pachon than anyone expects. There is some academic rivalry between Pachon and her sister, a physicist, but nothing serious, she tells me. It's endemic of the perfection her family instilled in their children. Her father told her to strive to be incredible every day and that it will resonate out into the universe. The Rainbow Team speaks highly of her both operationally and in a social setting. Specialist Gustave Doc Kateb, in particular, appreciates her intuition and empathy, while others, such as Specialist Olivier Lyon Flament, praise her technological know-how. I wanted to know how Pachon interprets technological creativity. She said it's the way she sees things differently, and yet remains aware that she's seeing things differently. So I suppose I would add philosopher to her myriad descriptors. She's a very hands-on researcher. The manner in which she gets right up close to a robot, interacting with it the way someone would a child or pet, illustrates her innate compassion. She is currently teaching AI empathy so that it can, in turn, teach it to humans. I'd love to delve into this further and have plans to visit the lab. Because of her passion for technology as a way to improve quality of life, drives her in research and in her military career. I wonder if she isn't at times being too idealistic. She's an excellent operator with many skills to offer besides the tech, and I want her to give more thought to where the human factor is crucial. Her background and interest in AI means one of Pachon's favorite pastimes is people watching. Whether it's settling into a restaurant or taking a bus, she goes wherever there are crowds and studies behavior. 
Travel, too, excites her. The list of where she hasn't been is shorter than where she has. Giles Tour, codenamed Montagne, was born on October 11, 1968, in Bordeaux, France. The son of an army officer and school teacher, he is the middle of four siblings with two older brothers and a younger sister. A few years after graduating high school, he began his law enforcement career as a uniformed police officer in the National Gendarmerie. They used his imposing form whenever there was a need to show a strong police presence, earning him a spot in the mobile gendarmerie where the focus was on crowd control as well as military and counterterrorism patrol missions. His push for extensive training provided him with a broad skill set and earned him a position in the GIGN. After many years of service and involvement in numerous incidents, such as the 1994 French airline hijacking, Montagna has become the longest-serving GIGN operative. He is a certified GIGN instructor when not deployed with Rainbow. Though he's best utilized for his breaching techniques, Tour has also training in combat engineering and reconnaissance. Psychological Profile Tour is considered highly dependable by his peers. His steady nerves have allowed him to take control of complex, high-stress situations during the tenure of his career. As a trainer, Tour is stern with the new recruits, but always tries to remain fair. He prefers to lead by example. Specialist Giles Montagna Tour's imposing presence, along with his unwavering gaze, is impressive, and as a tactic, I can see how it can be unsettling. He's a man of few words, even among his friends. I chose to visit him at one of the GIGN training centers so that he'd be more comfortable talking. Observing Tour with his trainees gave me a better sense of him. In this capacity, he was accessible, fair, and even gregarious. We started by discussing his role as an instructor. He was excited that Rainbow continues to evolve and is proud to be a part of it. He told me there's always a lot to learn from his peers and that, lately, he's been trying to stretch beyond his comfort zone. He has certainly taken the lead on including more virtual simulation in our training. He's hoping to incorporate the unique skills of operators such as specialist Grace Dokabi Nam in his next sessions. Tour has a naturally protective nature. His choice to enter law enforcement speaks more to that than his family's military service. The middle of four, his two brothers are also in the military. Tour said that the family raised them to be protectors. Their parents recounted stories of various ancestors who fought for what was right. He believes that education is the solution to many of the world's problems. His sister finished her police training, but switched to teaching when she felt that was where she could do the most good. Because Tour has an understated confidence, I was surprised when he expressed doubt about his role in Rainbow. Many of our operators are exceptionally skilled with languages. Tour isn't. None of the reports suggest this is an issue, but even a perceived weakness can become debilitating. I encouraged him to select one, only one, language to focus on studying, and ask some of the other specialists to make an effort to include him in their conversations. If all goes well, it'll feel less like he's being tested and more like he's being folded into the group. Olivier Flament, codenamed Lion, was born to a conservative, well-to-do family. 
His parents and older sister, Sophie, were in medicine and devout Catholics, but he bucked against their accomplishments and their faith. He was smart and arrogant, but he believed rebellion was a better use of his intellect. It was fun to act against expectation, to drink and party. At least it was until he got his girlfriend, Claire, pregnant. He tried to convince Claire to get an abortion, but she refused. Once his parents found out about the pregnancy, they kicked him out of the house. It was the last straw in a string of bad behavior. Depressed, Olivier went on a drug and alcohol-fueled bender, getting trashed enough to land in the hospital. That was his wake-up call. He was 18 and nearly homeless, so he joined the French army out of desperation in order to gain control of his life. Military life was hard but rewarding. Olivier took solace and purpose and struggled to break old habits. He started sending money to Claire to support their newborn son, even though she did not want to see him. Olivier's skills and aptitude were well suited for specific training in CBRN. The additional structure and strict discipline of advanced training allowed him to excel. He became a second-level-in-combat rescuer and was quickly recruited into the 2nd Dragoon Regiment. He worked primarily with their environmental monitoring sensors in support of the unit's role as a CBRN reaction force. He also developed a close relationship with the regiment's Catholic chaplain, Bertrand, who eventually spoke to Claire and convinced her that Olivier regretted his actions. He arranged a reunion for them. It was a hard moment for Olivier. He met his son, Alexis, the child he wanted aborted, and the reality of the decision hit him hard. He had been selfish, pushing his girlfriend to do something because it inconvenienced him. More so, Claire was about to get married, and Alexis was already calling someone else daddy. Everything he had done, putting his loved ones through hell, shoved him into a wild depression that almost cost him his rank. Chaplain Bertrand helped Olivier through the crisis, and with it, he returned to the Catholic Church. Olivier swore he would do everything possible to rectify the pain he had caused, so he worked harder and sought more challenges. He grew a fascination for bacteriology and virology, specifically vector control. Recognizing that his abilities could be better applied elsewhere, he resigned from the Army and joined the GIGN, with a view towards the GIGN's operational support force. He worked as the unit's new biohazard expert, using drones to maintain and hold quarantine perimeters. He focused on his duty on making things right, no matter how much it hurt him in the process. His feelings were irrelevant. What mattered was strict observation of his duty. During a yellow fever outbreak in Sudan, while protecting a field investigation team, his loud voice scared a frightened mob back, and he gained the nickname Lion from the locals. In 2015, the army asked him to lead the 2nd Dragoons to Nigeria to assist medical personnel fighting the Ebola epidemic. Tragedy ensued, and the decisions Olivier made for safety reasons put him at odds with Doc, who blamed him for the death of several medical personnel on site, including Doc's colleague. The tension between the two continues to this day. Despite this, his ability to remain focused and perform precise tasks under stressful conditions caught the attention of Finca, who recommended him as a candidate for Rainbow. Aurelia Arnott agreed with her recommendation, 
and recruited him in early 2018 as a CBRN specialist on the team's new CBRN threat unit. Olivier immediately proved his value when he and Finca uncovered the source of the mysterious mist that came ashore in Sussex and poisoned people, though he claims he shares that success with Twitch, who provided him with the new aerial drone to locate the mist plume. Olivier has managed to stay in his son's life, but it is an awkward relationship. Alexis does not know how to call him father, and Olivier is not sure what it means to be a dad in the day-to-day. He has mended bridges with his parents and sister, his return to the Catholic faith healing those wounds, and while his decision to be a soldier bothers them, he is no longer the thoughtless rebel. He is not a soldier to make life easy on his soul. He bears the weight of responsibility for what he has done, even though Bertrand constantly reminds him that forgiveness is in the heart of God. Psychological Profile Lion is a by-the-books operator because he doesn't trust his civilian instincts. Rules give him structure and allow him to control what he considers the pettier parts of his personality. They give him a safety net when conscience and arrogance could otherwise weaken his resolve and hurt more lives. He bears the weight of responsibility for what he has done and pushes himself to the limits as a form of corporal punishment. Unfortunately, Lion is arrogant and has rubbed some people within GIGN and Rainbow the wrong way. Doc thinks he lacks the empathy necessary to help in medical crises, while Lion thinks Doc's humanitarianism is a liability. Twitch is not happy about being caught in the middle of that fight. Lion's closest friend in GIGN is Montagna, but when Thatcher punched Olivier after he said the wrong thing during a training exercise, Lion almost brought the GIGN and SAS to blows. Olivier spends most of his social time at church volunteering when he can, or at his apartment reading and staying out of trouble while listening to the angry albums of his teenage years. Scars A few of our operators have more than their fair share. Specialist Olivier Lion Filament, however, has used the army to help heal his. No outlet is perfect, and battle fatigue has a way of piling up, but he channels his frustrations into determination. His approach is motivated by such singular focus that it makes him one of our more formidable and consistent team members. Something that I try to impart to our team is the value of introspection. Flament, with his Catholic faith, already understands this. He openly discusses his regrets, and I can see they give him clarity and purpose. The past isn't something that he's forgotten or tried to erase. It motivates him, but has no hold on him. In my sessions, I ask for one good thing that happened recently, no matter how small. Some have described the perfect breakfast they had, or the movie that made them laugh so hard they cried. Flament talks about his love of heavy metal music, his faith, and his son. While the pain of being disowned by his father may never truly fade, it's prompted Flament to engage with his son more constructively. He treasures their relationship, perhaps because he realizes how close he came to never knowing Alexis at all. In the pictures Flament shares with me, I can see the results of his efforts. Three of our GIGN operators, Twitch, Doc, and Flament, are all haunted by a shared tragedy. This friction over Flament quarantining doctors and nurses who later died can't continue. 
Joint sessions with Kateb and Flament are already planned. We will resolve this one way or another. Flament tells me that thanks to his military service, he's reinvented himself. But that suggests a different person. I think it's more like reshaping. A dedicated operator, a tireless volunteer, a caring father. He's always been those things. His tattoo, the French Army's motto, Give me a chance to shine, tells Flamint's story. For him to continue growing, he will have to accept his intrinsic ability to change. Gustave Kateb, codenamed Doc, was born on September 16, 1977, in Paris, France. Of Algerian and French descent, Kateb grew up in an affluent family in Paris. He comes from a well-respected lineage in both the military and medicine. In his second year of medical studies, Kateb answered the appeal for volunteers in Medicines Sans Frontiers, the MSF. He has subsequently volunteered numerous times on emergency frontline aid missions around the world. At age 20, he declined a prominent private medical practice in favor of a career with the French Defense Health Service. Kateb's main discipline is toxicology and ecotoxicology. He has authored studies on biological agents and their effects on at-risk populations and damaged environments, and also contributed reports to the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. Recognizing the ongoing need for doctors, he continues to volunteer with the MSF. Psychological Profile Kateb demonstrates a high degree of empathy for human suffering. He is a rare, genuine altruist. He sees military service as a noble in their dedication to protecting civilians. He considers the front line his natural habitat, as it provides him with the opportunity to have direct influence and impact of the welfare of the unit. His proclivity for conflict resolution makes him a valuable asset. Specialist Gustav Doc Kateb's wealthy upbringing could easily have turned him into a narcissist yet he's one of the most accessible and thoughtful people I've encountered. Surprisingly, he didn't have much interest in being a doctor. The impetus seems to stem from family tradition, though it's clear his grandfather's military service was a strong motivation. Kateb admitted that he almost quit at the end of his first year because he didn't feel any passion for his work. I gather his father thought the mention of passion was absurd. In his second year, Kateb volunteered for MSF and that first mission still resonates with him. The squalor, the chronic lack of supplies, the desperate need. He remembers how the look of worry on the mother's faces subsided as they gathered near the tents. That was when he found his passion at last. Encountering people with so little, it's understandable that Kateb said he felt shame. What's interesting is that he described embarrassment as well for the life he still had. Field reports reflect Kateb's selfless acts, yet he has explicitly chosen a combat role. That piqued my interest. It was some time before he was willing to share his story with me. During a frontline op in East Africa, the hospital where Kateb worked was stormed by local militia. All of the patients he had fought so hard to save were killed. From this horrendous event, he realized it was within his power to save lives with a scalpel or a bullet. Kateb's proclivity for conflict resolution is just one of a dozen skills 
that make him an asset to Rainbow. It's clear the team trusts and respects him. He's developed a strong bond with Specialist Twitch, due in part to Pachon's use of technology to lessen the risk of human lives. Unfortunately, there is also unresolved animosity with Specialist Lion over quarantine procedures that saw several of Kateb's aid worker friends killed. For now, the situation is stable. That may be the best we can hope for. Julian Nizan, codenamed Rook, was born on January 6, 1990, in Tours, France. Nizan was the youngest son of a working-class family. His father was a respected stonemason, while his mother held numerous jobs. Both of them informed his sense of architectural design and precision, helping him earn top rankings in school. Along with Nizan's intellectual interests, he excelled in athletics from an early age, including track and field, fencing, and cycling. He later dropped out of university to cycle across France. At age 18, the gendarmerie enlisted his father for an anti-corruption sting with local businesses. Nizan was fascinated by the level of planning required by the police. He subsequently enlisted in the Gendarmerie Nationale and was assigned to the Highway Patrol Unit. Nizan thrived in his training, which included specialized qualifications in weapons, surveillance, and criminal investigations. His adaptability put him at the top of the list in military and defense courses, quickly catching the attention of the GIGN. His first operations with that unit combined all of the elements to satisfy his endless pursuit of challenges and adventure, according to staff psychologists. Specializing in hostage rescue and surveillance, Nizan's list of successful interventions is extensive. Psychological Profile Nazan is idealistic and trusting. He can be impulsive and must self-regulate in order to remain on task. When his focus is clear, he is decisive and driven to complete the task at hand. In reviewing Specialist Julian Rook Nazan's file, what stands out is his ability to adapt to demands. Very quickly into our conversation, it was clear that Nazan's interests are wide-reaching. From his descriptions, it sounds like his parents imparted their eclectic tastes. Julian and his sister, Elodie, were especially encouraged to be curious about everything. I would argue that it's this openness to the world around him that led to the creation of his protective, yet still highly flexible, armor plating. Nizan's father is a stonemason, which requires imagination, precision, and dedication. His mother's ability to explore different vocations with verve, bookkeeping, street busker, florist, tour guide, sommelier, and chef, all strongly influenced how Nazan adapts to challenges and what goals he sets out for himself. The field reports reflect some of Nazan's chameleon-like way of merging into whatever role is required. This kind of versatility is rare. I've asked leads such as specialist Doc and Castle to challenge Nazan more during operations. I'm curious about how Nizan went from studying architecture to joining law enforcement. He grew up passionate about cycling, auto racing, and rock concerts, and he spent an inordinate amount of time trying to devise a scheme by which these could become careers. Ultimately, his interests evolved. Dropping out of university to cycle around France gave him his first sense of freedom, and then his world expanded further when he returned. 
At that time, the gendarmerie enlisted his civilian father for an anti-corruption sting with local businesses. Nizan told me that he was fascinated by the level of planning required by the police. Right from the beginning, Nizan remembers appreciating the broad spectrum of skills and range of expertise required to be in law enforcement and the military. Every day is different. Nizan is one of the more constant optimists on the team. His ability to energize other specialists is important, and he's certainly well-liked. I'd like to see Nizan's sense of adventure put to better use, however. Complacency benefits no one. Well, that wraps up the first part in my Rainbow Six Siege series. I want to thank my patrons Linda for support at the Expert Explorer level, Dalton, Perez, and Lindsay for their support at the Intermediate Explorer level, and Jackie for support at the Novice Explorer level. If you enjoyed the episode or have any suggestions, be sure to leave a review and don't forget to go over to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thelorexplorer to support the show today. Thanks for listening.